Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. All right, well, uh, hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you are doing well. My name, again, is Michael Badger. I am one of the pastors at Redeemer Church in St. Albans. Uh, Thank you. Uh, And uh, I am incredibly, incredibly grateful for this day. I'm incredibly grateful that uh, we have the privilege of having all of our churches, all of our, our, our families come together in this way. What a, what a beautiful moment that is. I, kinda, I, don't want, I don't want you guys to miss how wonderful of an opportunity God is giving us here. And we even have the chance to have wonderful brothers and sisters from out of state come all the way here just for this, and that's amazing as well. Um, man, it is a, it's a truly special time this morning. Now, if you were here last year, you may or, or may not, but you probably do because it was a big deal, uh, remember a deep injustice was actually done to me, personally. Um, my session was scheduled to follow both Pastor Ben and Pastor Aaron's, um, and I'm not much of a sports guy, but that would be kind of like uh, watching Aaron Rodgers play, and then Tom Brady play, and then Charlie Brown just kind of waltzing out onto the field after that. So, Uh, Last year I said it wasn't right. I said I wasn't going to stand for it. And so I'm happy to say that that wrong has been righted. And I'm going first this time, all right? So, thank you. Or that kind of hurts. I don't really know what the... But anyway, all right. Now the theme of this conference this year I I think is beautiful. And I think I'm not alone in, in feeling that way. How do we pursue loving Christ How do we pursue loving him? And the passage that ties all of the sessions of this conference together, as you guys already know, is Mark 12, 30. Is love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and strength. And the idea that Jesus is giving us here is that the entirety of our being is to be active in loving him. The entirety of our being. And you aren't to simply love God, love Jesus in only one of these categories. And this is important because there are many times in which we we kind of attempt to divide these three categories and only really pursue him in in one or or maybe two of these different ways. And, And that is to our detriment. Simply loving God with only our hearts can turn quickly into just just emotionalism. And loving God with only our minds can, can actually turn God into a subject or, or just a thing to be studied. And loving Him with only our actions brings with it the danger of transforming us into legalists. And this is why Jesus doesn't just pick one or even two of these categories in telling us to pursue Him in love. Jesus is saying here in Mark 12, 30, that loving him is to be done with the whole of who we are. And love for God is to be pursued with with the inner person and the outer actions. 
And so that is what we want to take up during this conference. We want to examine how we are to pursue Christ more in our holistic love for him and in the process be transformed more and more and more into his likeness. And so for my session, we'll be taking a look at loving Jesus with the heart. And I want us to walk together as we seek to see what Scripture says first about the very nature of the love we are to even have for God, and then what it means to pursue Him in love with our hearts and what that actually means. But first, please pray with me for our time together. Lord, we love you. And as we walk together through our time this morning, through this first session and through the sessions that follow, God, I pray, Lord, that we, that we kind of put aside any of our preconceived notions of, of what it may mean to love you and we, we allow your Holy Spirit to teach us afresh how you want us to love you. So, Lord, I pray that you are active in our time this morning together. Lead us and protect us from error. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, as we begin to dive into pursuing love for God, for for Jesus with our hearts, as I said a moment ago, I first want us to take a look at the very nature of loving God. And the reason I want to do this is because I believe there can be a lot of confusion as to the nature of the love we are to have for God, even within the church. And so I believe it will benefit us to first lay a foundation for what love for God isn't and then looking at what it actually is. And so without grasping the nature of the love we are to have for Jesus, it can be much harder for us to actually understand how we are to pursue him in that love. And so I want to briefly begin with what that love isn't. Now, one of the things that our culture culture will often tell us is that the natural state of the human heart in regard to its posture towards Jesus is neutral. That's neutral. We neither really love him or, or hate him. And as we go about life, we can either kind of stay on this neutral ground or, or we could sort of get a distaste for God because of various things that might happen in our life and we kind of start kind of liking him less and less. Or maybe our heart will just kind of you know, learn to love him. But the problem is that Scripture paints a completely different picture of the human heart. Scripture doesn't give us the idea that the natural state of the human heart is neutral with respect to loving Jesus, with respect to loving God. That's not really what we see. In fact, the reality that we find within the pages of the Bible is that love for God is not something that's natural to us. It's not not something that's an organic product of our hearts. And this means that we are incapable of loving God with our hearts all on our own. In man's natural fallen state, it is not a possibility. And this, is, this difficult truth is found within passages such as Romans 5.10, which tells us that before we were reconciled to God through the cross of Christ, we weren't, we weren't neutral parties in relationship to him, but rather we were what? We're fierce enemies. Fierce enemies. And if you back up a few chapters to Romans 1, verse 30, 
And Paul goes so far as to say that we, we didn't love God with our whole hearts. It wasn't love that was pouring out for him. But what was it? It was hatred. It was hatred. We hated God with all of our hearts. And so as countercultural cultural as it may sound, what is most natural to us is hatred for Jesus. Fallen human beings left on their own hate Jesus and left on their own, or if left on their own, they will continue in that hatred. And so even in our love for God, in our love for Jesus, the love that we have for him now, the love that you feel for him now, if you're a believer in this room, that's not, that's not a product of your heart. We are utterly dependent on God for it. That love for Jesus that you now possess didn't originate from within. It couldn't have. It originated from above. But more on that in a moment. And so, the love for Jesus is not a natural product of the human heart. And secondly, love for Jesus is not simply obedience to Jesus, although it is related. Let me say that again. Love for Jesus is not simply obedience to Jesus, but it is related. If love was equal to obedience, then there would have been none so loving of God than Saul of Tarsus before his conversion, right? Look at what he says of himself in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. And he's kind of getting a little braggadocious here, but for a very good purpose. He said, I myself have every reason for confidence in the flesh also. Every reason for it, meaning his outward obedience to the law of God. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul says. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. And so in other words, no one obeyed the law of God better than Saul of Tarsus. And yet, despite his passion for the obedience to the law of God, his heart was actually devoid of love for God. Now, how do we know this? Couldn't he have loved God, but just, you know, kind of mistaken this whole Jesus thing? But still, but still kind of loved God, you know? How do we know he didn't truly love him? Well, we actually just read it. It said, as to zeal, he was what? A persecutor of the church. Saul, or Paul, before his conversion, hated the body of Christ. He hated the church and all the individuals that made up the church. And brothers and sisters, do you know what 1 John 4, 9 through 12 tells us is a necessary result of having love for God in your heart? It is love for his church. It's for one another. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's talking about the church here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so I ask you, what is the natural inverse of that? What's the natural inverse? If we do not love each other, 
If we do not love the church in our hearts, the love of God does not abide in us. And so despite all of his admirable obedience to the laws, Paul, before his conversion, was unable to fulfill what Jesus named as the first and greatest commandment. He was unable to love God. He couldn't do it, as evident in his hatred for the church. And so obedience is not equal to love of God. Now, I would be remiss if I did not say that while obedience does not equal love for God, it is a necessary and natural outpouring of loving God. And this is what Jesus is teaching in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do it. And so truly having love for God will result in obedience. However, love for God must proceed that obedience. If you love me, if you truly possess a love for me in your hearts, then you will obey my commandments. You'll keep my commandments. Obedience is the product of love, not the other way around. You can't simply do enough things and expect true love for God to to kind of just spring forth from your heart because of that obedience. It doesn't work in that direction. Love is the fountainhead from which obedience flows. And so again, love is not simply obedience. A person can obey a command and not love the one who commanded it. Obedience to God is an outpouring and evidence of the love for God. But love must come first. Now, if love for Jesus is not a natural product of the human heart, and it's not, it's not simply obedience, and that still kind of leaves us with a little bit of a question, and that question is, is then what is it? What, what is it? What is that love? What is the actual nature of the love that we are to have for Jesus? And where, where does it come from? And what is it to, what is it to be like? And how do, we, how do we pursue loving Jesus more with our hearts? I'm going to tackle that first question quickly of where does love for Jesus come from so that we can spend a little bit more time on the last two questions. And first, love for God is a gift from God. Love for God is a gift from God given to us through the circumcision of Christ. Now this circumcision of Christ is first hinted at in Deuteronomy 36. Not 36, 30 verse 6. When God makes this promise to his people, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that... So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now God here is making a promise that he will perform this circumcision that will not be done with hands and that will not only be for males. Because it will be a circumcision of the heart that he himself will do for all of his people. And this is actually the very same circumcision that Paul picks up on in Colossians 2.11, where Paul is speaking to our, our new identity in Christ, and he says, in him, meaning in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
You see, at the advent of our salvation, God did this miraculous work in our hearts whereby he cuts away and he removes our our old, sinful, stone-like hearts. And he places within us, as Ezekiel 36 says, places within us a new heart of flesh. And it is in that act of the circumcision of the heart, which is also a picture of what Jesus calls the new birth. So circumcision of the heart and new birth, one and the same. The true fulfillment of God's promise in Deuteronomy 30 takes place. And these these new hearts of flesh are given the most wonderful gift of love for God, love for Jesus. And so friends, do do you understand what that means for us? It means that even though we hated God in our hearts, and even though we were no better than those who spat on him on the cross, and his love was so great for us that even though we were incapable of loving him on our own, out of his good pleasure, out of his mercy, and out of his grace, he granted us the gift of loving him. How wonderful is that? Just let that that truth wash over you for a moment. The love that you were not able to provide to him, he gave to you. How amazing is that? How beautiful is that? So love for Jesus is is nothing short of a miraculous gift given to us out of an act of loving grace and mercy. Let us never forget that. As 1 Peter 1 tells us, it's because of our new birth, because of this circumcision of the heart that we received in Christ, this truth is now true of us, that though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Love for God in our hearts can only, can only be a gift from God. Now, I could have really saved myself a lot of time here in that particular section and just spoke the words of 1 John 4.19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. But I had, you know, some time to fill, so... So the love for God in our hearts is a gift that we receive from God upon our new birth, upon our salvation. But what is the nature of that love? What is that love to to look like? Well, John Piper actually answers this question by looking at a passage of Scripture that you might not really first expect. Take a look at Matthew 10, 37. Matthew 10, 37. In this passage, Jesus is speaking of what it means to actually truly be one of his disciples. And in describing this, he says, Whoever loves father or mother is not worthy of me. Some hard words. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Even harder words. Now, of course, this passage, again, is talking about the necessity of loving Jesus more than anyone or anything else in order to be his disciples. But Piper actually points something else out in this passage that I found really helpful. He points out that Jesus is purposefully comparing the type of love that you should have for him with familial love. With familial love. 
In other words, the love that you have for a father and mother or son and daughter is, is an affectionate love, right? It's an affectionate love. It's a, it's a valuing love. It's a precious and cherishing love. And Jesus is saying that that same type of love is the same type of love that you are to have for me, but in even greater quantity. We are to have a family like love for Jesus in our hearts. The love of one family member to another, more specifically, a child to their father. And here's where we see the wonder of the doctrine called adoption. Because while justification and forgiveness and so on are all wonderful and heavenly truths that speak to our now guilt-free state before God, adoption speaks most powerfully to our new love relationship that we have with him. Perhaps no other passage in Scripture uh, speaks more clearly to the doctrine of adoption than Romans 8, 14 through 16, which says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, which if you're a believer in this room, that's you, you are led by the Spirit, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we call Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And friends, we have received the spirit of adoption, meaning that that upon salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you and he ushers you into his family, ushers you into the family of God. He ushers you into the loving arms of your Father. Not only our our Lord and King, yes, our Lord and King, but not only our Lord and King, but our loving and doting Abba that we, like little children, can run to and cry to and love as a child loves a good father. That is the nature of love we are to have for Jesus. Not just a subject to his King, that there is good and necessary truth to that. But in terms of our heart's love for him, a son and daughter to their loving and doting dad. And this is such a beautiful reality because God doesn't desire for us to be these, these mindless automatons that simply just kind of go about our business doing his bidding. But rather, he is a caring father who wants us to experience a love for him that is warmer and more comforting, and more caring, and more heartfelt than the love that we have towards anyone else. How how I long to have that kind of love for him more and more. That kind of love for him. don't Don't you want that? Don't you want to feel that way towards him? Lord, sanctify us in this way. Help us love you in this way. The love that brings you joy and deep satisfaction when you look into the eyes of your child or your spouse or your mother or father, that is the same kind of love. It is that love, but oh, so much more that Jesus wants to have us to have the pleasure in experiencing in our hearts for himself. We hear, so, we hear a lot about the love that God has for us, and it's a wonderful and beautiful truth, but we're also to have that, that wonderful and beautiful love for him. 
And so if we want to truly understand what kind of love we are to have for God in our hearts, the love that we are to pursue and grow in, and brothers and sisters, we can't miss our heavenly adoption. Now, that we have looked at what love for God is and the nature of that love, let's now look at the question, how do we continue in pursuing love for Jesus with our whole hearts? How do we grow deeper in our hearts' love for him? And I think this is such a powerful question because I believe there are times in all of our lives where, where we just don't, don't feel it, right? We don't, don't feel it. Where, where we feel as if the love that we have for Jesus in our hearts has, has just kind of run dry, maybe, maybe stagnant at best. But brothers and sisters, I actually believe that it is kind of, kind of here where we make a, a significant mistake when we equate love with simple emotion. We can't grow in love for Jesus by just trying to rile up our emotions and, and, and just kind of feel it. And so I believe this is where we must again look to the nature of our love that we are to have for Christ in our hearts. We must remember that it is a family love. It's a familial love. Now hear me with grace when I say that when I am dealing with my two-year-old son, whom I love more than words can express, The feelings I have towards him when he pours out a family-sized box of Cheerios down my steps and it just comes cascading down is anything but warm and fuzzy. It's the opposite. But does my heart cease to love him? Of course not. Of course not. I do not stop loving him because my love for him is not based on these these momentary and fleeting feelings or emotions. But rather, it is primarily based on valuing him as my son. On treasuring him as the beautiful gift from God that he is. Despite the fact that he just tried to ride our 10-month-old daughter like a horse. You laugh, but it's terrifying. (laughs) The deep love that I have for Rowan is not dependent on the ever-shifting sea of my emotions, but rather on the place of great value that he holds in my heart. And there's the key to our pursuing Christ with our hearts. There's the key. There's the key to, to our pursuing Christ with our hearts, with growing in our love for him. It is not squeezing our eyes closed and and trying to work up these emotions. But it comes from seeking to value and treasure Christ more and more and more in our hearts. And this is what Paul was truly speaking of in Philippians 3, 5 through 8, when he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then Paul takes all of that. He takes all of those things, everything that he had, everything that he had accomplished, everything that he valued, and he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Did you hear that? The surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word here literally meaning dung. I counted those things as dung in order that I may gain Christ. And so brothers and sisters, that is the picture of loving Jesus with your whole heart. It is counting all else lost because of the surpassing worth of Jesus. In other words, it is counting Jesus as more valuable, more precious than all other valuable and precious things in this world. It is treasuring the God whose love for you is unmatched. The God whose love for you is so magnificent that while we were still enemies, while we were still yet sinners, he sent his love to die for us, or sent his son to die for us, to redeem us for himself. It is cherishing above all else the person of Jesus who so loves you that he went to the cross willingly. Who so loves you that he willingly drank in the wrath of the Father. Also that you may share in his inheritance. It is cherishing above all else Jesus Christ. And so pursuing loving Jesus with your heart is seeking to take all the wonders that God has blessed you with and valuing Jesus above them all. Charles Simeon put it this way. He says, all of us possess something that we account as gain. But let us never forget that there is one thing of infinitely greater value than all those things together and for which our gain must be accounted as loss. And he says, it is to have a distinct experiential knowledge of Christ, meaning knowing him and loving him and being loved by him is of more value than 10,000 worlds. And this is very much in line with what the psalmist says in Psalm 63.3. He says, because of your steadfast love is better, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And what does the psalmist mean here by life? Oh, he, he means everything that this life has to offer, right? Every single joy and pleasure that we experience in this life, being loved by God is better than those things. It is greater. It is more beautiful and valuable and precious and so, Christian, that is how you pursue love for Christ with all of your heart. That's your next step. It is seeking every day to value and cherish the sum total of the person of Christ more than life itself. By daily, moment to moment, giving Jesus the place of highest honor in your heart. Even when you don't, even when you don't feel it. That is what will make our lips overflow in love and praise for him. Even when our emotions are in the pits of despair. When we cherish, when we value, when we treasure Jesus in our hearts, we love him. So as you seek to pursue Christ with your heart, the question you must ask yourself is, is what do I value more than Christ? 
Is there something that is occupying the highest place of my heart where Jesus belongs? Is the treasure of my heart found in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Or is it in my career? Is it in the need for entertainment? Is it in my level of comfort? Is it even in my family? Is it even in my children? Is it a multiplicity of things that are are capturing the affections of your heart and causing you to value Christ less and therefore grow stagnant in your love for him? And as we prayerfully ask those questions, let us implore the Holy Spirit to help us bury the roots of our hearts in love for Christ by seeking to value him above all. And this is, this is Jesus' desire for us. That's his burning desire for us. His heart's desire for us is to see the beauty of his glory. The beauty of his wonders and his works that he did for us. And as he says in the high priestly prayer, prayer in John 17, 26, his desire is for, is for the very love, the very love, that God the Father has for the Son to be in you. The very love. And so let us cry out to our Abba, to our Father, to deepen that love that He, by His grace, has given us. Please pray with me. Lord, I want to echo the prayer of David when he asked you, search My heart, O Lord. Search my heart. Search our hearts, God. Please show us what we are treasuring above you. Show us what has our hearts entranced more than you and your goodness. Help us in putting those things in their proper place and help us as we seek to value you above all else. Help us love you with all of our hearts. Amen.